just past 7 o'clock. It's Monday night, and we are excited. It's time for Iron Sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike Balsamo here as well. Going to be a great show, Ira. And you are not in studio, but there's a very good reason for that. Uh, you've got a big game tonight. This could be Ben Roethlisberger's uh, final game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, if they lose tonight, he probably won't play next week against the Ravens. But he's hinted that he's going to retire after this year. It's clearly is going to be his final home game. So uh, this is uh, it's, it's freezing here in Pittsburgh. It's very very cold in the twenties. But uh, I'm pumped for it. I think I expect the Steelers to win. I expect the Steelers to play with a lot of passion and fire for Ben. He's been the quarterback for the Steelers for 18 years. Uh, won two Super Bowls, been to three, and so this could be the final time he plays at Heinz Field. He never played at Three River Stadium, he only played at Heinz Field. So, uh, so we're very excited for this game. So, I wrote, you know, before we get into everything else, I, I, I asked you, you know, yesterday, are you having any trouble getting tickets? I mean, I got to assume that everybody who's a big Steeler fan is going to want to be there. You said that. I think you jinxed it a little bit because it wasn't really going that high. And you said it, and then the prices did go up. So I don't know what you did, but you somehow made them. But I did – I actually – because I want to sit – so you, everybody knows that I, I – as much as I love the terrible towels and think the terrible towels are great, except that it's hard when you're taking pictures and videos and the towels are hitting you in the face the entire time. So the best seat in the house for me is the first row of the club. So I'm sitting right on the 50 – First row of the club, so I won't have anyone with any in front of me with towels or anything. Should get some great pictures for this game. Now I'm opposite the Steelers side, so I'm going to be on the visiting team on the Brown side, but I'll be able to get look Ben's face like when he's on the standing on the sidelines and those things. So it should be great. But no, I did pay. I went a little higher because I wanted to sit in the club and I wanted that seat. And I saw that I've been waiting for like two weeks looking at these seats and the seat did come up and I'm like, I got to get the seat. So it's worth it. And considering all the expense to fly up here and do this, uh, I'm lucky I flew up today. I, you know, the flame wasn't canceled and I could fly it and go to the game today. So I'm a little excited. Really exciting stuff. I can't wait to, uh, to, to watch that uh, here in a little bit. But Ira, you know, you mentioned your pictures, by the way. You can always see these all across social media at Ira on Sports. Got some good pictures uh, from a couple of games this week. Where you been? Well, I was at the uh, semifinals between Georgia and Michigan for the Orange Bowl on, on uh, Friday night. And then on did not as, as the fireworks were going up when New Year's was going, I'm driving up to Tampa and saw Penn State uh, play in the Outback Bowl against Arkansas. So actually saw two games. I mean, the Orange Bowl ended around like 11, 11, 15. And less than 12 hours, about 12 hours later, the Outback Bowl kicked off. So it was it was difficult. I wish the Outback Bowl was like a 3.30 start. It made it a little easier. <laughs> but uh, I was able to, I got there a couple hours before the game time. Tampa is such an easy, I, I keep saying it again and again and again. It's a great, easy stadium to go to. It's easy to get to. And also the parking is I mean, what they did for the Orange Bowl for the parking was ridiculous. They, you could not get in without paying like uh, almost $150, $200 just to park. And the pricing was, was not as high for the tickets. It was the parking that was expensive. Whereas in Tampa, because there's places to park around it, I literally parked next to the stadium for $30. You get like right next to the stadium for $30. And I've been doing that, you know, against, you can do that all across in Tampa. But the Orange Bowl, because there's no street parking or anywhere else but just the stadium lots, it just makes it so expensive. No, absolutely. It, it's always <laughs> definitely a challenge getting in and out of there um, around the Orange Bowl. Let's go. Let's talk about um, Cincinnati and Alabama, Ira. And this was um, – I don't think many people anticipated Cincinnati was going to win this game. They didn't get absolutely blown out, Ira, but there's a clear divide between, you know, one and four when it comes to the rankings. 
Well, I guess I think I've listened to so many commentators. Now, this game, it was cool. I got to go. I came down to the Orange Bowl super early. So I was there like about 2.30. So I was able to watch at a tailgate that was at um, with some former Dolphin players, which hopefully we're going to get them on Iron Sports, so that was good. But we watched uh, uh, watched these games, watched the uh, Cincinnati game. So I got to see most of the game. Now, I did go in like in the third quarter, but when you're in the state, they kept playing that. But what you really sensed with was that was the first – the, just the first series in terms of Alabama's desire to run the ball. They've been criticized the whole year. This has been – they were only averaging 147 yards rushing a game, which is the lowest in 15 seasons under Satan. And with Brian Robinson, the star running back now healthy, they felt like they're just going to run it right down the throats of the Cincinnati Bearcats because Cincinnati Bearcats had, with Ahmad Gardner and Kobe Bryant, who's their, their quarterbacks in safety, they're phenomenal in the, whatever and in terms of the secondary. But they did it. You know, Alabama did what they wanted to do. And it was just like that first possession when you sat there and just Alabama would just say, run, 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 10 straight runs. You know, six were by Brian Robinson until they finally on first goal in the eighth, they threw to Slade Bolden. But it was at that point, it's like, that's what they're, they're going to now impose their will on the Cincinnati Bearcats. And they did impose their will, 27-6 to 6 being the final there. They're going to move on. So tell us a little bit about this game and, and how it went down. Like I said, it, it wasn't like they just crushed Cincinnati, but you never thought Cincinnati had a chance in this one. Well, I mean, I think it was uh, they got what happened was that they got when Cincinnati on the second drive went down to the nine. Desmond Ritter through two incomplete passes, then one where he lost six yards, and that was one where I thought they couldn't match Bama and go seven for seven, and then they're down seven three. So they were sort of. And you're right. They felt like that game felt closer than the Georgia Michigan game, but then Bama went down again, thirteen play, sixty seven yard drive, and uh, it was like one of they went on fourth down, it was like fourth and two on the fifteen. They ran for fifteen yards. And then first to go, and I had to settle for a field goal, but that was 10-3. But then, like, the next – Cincinnati, after that first drive, their next couple drives, just nothing, thrown out. I think like, there were, like, six or seven drives, but they just couldn't get anything going. And Bama had a 65-yard drive, and they ended up, uh, you know, kicking another field goal. So it was, it was sitting there, you know, at, where they missed it. They missed the field goal. But then uh, at the end of the first half, they had – uh, Bama had that eight-play, 94-yard drive, finally young to – uh, Bryce Young through Ja'Cory Brooks, 44-yard pass, 17-3. Now, Cincinnati, they hung in there. So it was like 10-3, you know, then it was 7. But when it, came out, when it that play, when it got to 17-3, it felt like, okay, this game's over. Just you're waiting for Cincinnati to do something. They have, they have explosive offense from Ford, the running back who played Alabama. We had uh, uh, Jeff Jenkins on, on our show talking about, you know, about the Bearcats and all the talent they have. But they just seem to, like, play this game like they were playing, like, Tulsa or Tulane. They didn't say, like, they're playing Alabama. Now, and I know it's hard to say go outside your comfort zone, but they sort of went out. They didn't go outside their comfort zone. They're down 17-3. And then after halftime, it was like Cincinnati went down. They got a field goal made at 17-6. Bama punted the ball. So now they've sort of, like, made adjustments. But then after that, it was just three and out and three and out, it seemed like, for Cincinnati the rest of the game. And, uh, and then it was just at that point, then Bama had a bad pass to Jamison Williams for 20 yards for a first down. And uh, then they scored another touchdown, made it 24-6, and just coasted uh, to victory. So for, it was just one of those things where Cincinnati just could not seem to get anything going on offense. And that was, gives a lot of credit to Alabama's defense. I mean, Will Anderson played great. They had uh, six sacks on Desmond Ritter. They just, they just, uh, just stopped him the entire game game and uh it was like and it was one of those weird games where Cincinnati 74 yards rushing Alabama 300 yards rushing Cincinnati only had 218 yards for the game uh Alabama had 482 almost two and a half times and Ritter was seven you know Ritter who people think should go in the first round 
17 for 32, 144 yards. Uh, in, in one of these games, you're like saying, well, what happened? In the Michigan game, you had the turnovers. Cincinnati didn't have a turnover the entire game, and they still got killed in the game. Uh, Bryce Young uh, threw three touchdowns, and Brian Robinson was the MVP, 26 carries, 204 yards. But it just shows you what Saban can do. If you, save it, if you want to pass the ball the whole game, they'll do that. If they can run it, their flexibility of Alabama, how they play, is why they are you know, won all these national championships. This is Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Follow Ira across social media at Ira on Sports. So, Ira, let's go to uh, Georgia and Michigan. And you had said, and this is surprising to me, you said that there was more, a lot more Michigan fans than Georgia, which I, I know they have a national following, but Georgia being so close, I wouldn't have anticipated that. I was shocked, too. Blown away by the by. I could not believe how many Michigan fans were there. And I think it's why it leads to something where everyone, we, we've talked about this, and it's surprising that you and I agree on this subject about expanding <laughs> the playoff. But uh, it, it's difficult. I think the Georgia fans were saying, well, we're going to go to the national championship game, and we're going to, so we can't go two weeks in a row. It's a difficult. It's difficult to go two weeks and travel when you're just used to going. You know, even if you're just playing in the SEC, it's, 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 you, know, you play your home games. Maybe some you'll go to another game. But it's difficult to get these fans. But Michigan, they made this whole trip to Florida. I know so many people always like playing their entire New Year's around this game. Uh, and they showed up in force. I mean, this was a Michigan's first like, this huge game like this in years. And I think that's one reason. But I, I was really surprised at the – I. I at, some point, at one point, I thought it was 60-40, maybe 65-35 or 70-30. Uh, Michigan fans almost took almost like half the – like they were – they were, they were, you could see where people sat, that they were almost the whole way around on one side. So it seemed like more dominating. And they were loud. That, but, of course, they could be so loud after the start of the game. But uh, the other thing I wanted to say about the Hard Rock, there's, it's a mess. I mean, they are doing the Formula One there. So you're, they're trying to build for the Formula One. They have the tennis. They have football. It's it's impossible to walk around there. There's fences everywhere. It's just not a company. They are they're taking the structure and now and it's not. I'm not and I sat the end zone this game. I don't normally sit there and I don't. And when I'm sitting there, I'm like I didn't like it. It was it's too far pushed back. It's, I'm not a fan. I'm now f- not a fan of Hard Rock. I, I feel like with all this construction they're doing there for the Formula One, plus you added tennis, just makes it comfortable. It's just very hard to just go walk in, walk out, go anywhere around the stadium. And that used to be one of the advantages of that stadium, that it was semi-easy to get in and out of. So I can imagine, you know, the, the headache that's added on there. Well, let's talk about the game itself, Ira, because like you said, this one didn't seem as close as we saw with, with Batman and Cincy. Michigan didn't really seem to have any to any uh, opportunity to get anything going. It was the speed. I mean, we talked about that. The key of the game was this, was we when we talked to all the, ex, the writers we had before the game, and, and I said the same thing, is when Georgia had this loss, when Georgia had this bad loss to Alabama three weeks ago, were they going to sulk? Were they going to be depressed? Were they going to now not have confidence? Or were they going to get mad? Well, they got mad. I mean, I really felt like if Georgia played Alabama, they would have won that game. Like, they would have played the New York Giants. They probably would have won. Like the, <laughs> hey. they, That's how fired up oh, the Giants were so bad. I, I, I high school team. But, um, I mean, Joe Judge would have figured a way to lose that game. But the point is, they were just fired up. And you could see the team speed so many times uh McNamara, the quarterback or uh would would or McCarthy they, they were using two quarterbacks Michigan was they would like try to run out of the pocket which you normally see you know, quarterbacks now in today's game running and out of nowhere you're like well there's one out one Georgia player there and he'll just uh, Dean or anybody I it could list every single defensive player from Georgia they would just run and tackle him and not just tackle him but like knock him to the ground there's no running around it was like amazing you could not Michigan could not get away 
I mean, they even – you saw Haskins ran for a while. I mean, almost like well, almost 200 yards against Ohio State. He had nine carries, 39 yards. I mean, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't do anything. It was just, again, 521 yards and 320 for Michigan. And a lot of that Michigan yards was at the end of the game when it didn't matter. Michigan had the three turnovers in the game. But rushing, Georgia, almost 200 yards rushing. Uh, Michigan only had 91. And ever, so everything that Michigan did and, – and what was shocking was Michigan had this, the best offensive line of football. They won the Joe Moore offensive line award. They could push – they were getting destroyed. And on defense – Hutchinson, who is everyone saying, you know, going to be the first pick of the draft, everything like that, you know, no pressures, nothing. They just could not do anything to stop Georgia. And it was just really, it, to me, I just, you never felt that Michigan was win this game at all. Like it was over early. And it just, the game just dragged on and on and on. I love being there and I love excitement, but he just felt like it's just like at the end of the game, it was so funny. Michigan was like calling some timeouts and I'm like, and I thought Georgia was upset because they were like, we want to get on to Alabama. And Kirby Smart made a comment. He goes, Nick Saban has a six hour head start on me. So he was like, we're going to end that game. And then Harbaugh's calling these timeouts. I'm like, what are you calling these timeouts for? It's ridiculous. You're losing by 20-some points. It's over, like with a minute to go in the game. You know, and it's it's funny, Ira. You you, you started to bring it up about the expansion. And I'm, I'm texting friends of mine during these games saying, you guys really want expansion? And no, no, we still should. You know, they, they should be 12 teams in. If you look, you know, number 12 in the country was BYU at the end of the season. That might have been a decent game for Notre Dame, the five. But if you think that that the top echelon, the Alabamas and the Georgias, that line would be forty points in a play in a you know in a college football playoff game, I just think it's crazy. And we saw the divide, um, you know, this past weekend. Right. I mean, you really didn't need four; you just needed two. I mean, that was the point: is that you have two clearly best, the, the teams that are the best. And I, I just am so against expansion. I just feel like four is fine. I think it's the way it just it makes the regular season matter more. And I just pump, and I just I'm against it. I, I feel like that's the way it's going. But also, I think people forget that Alabama and Georgia are very deep. And look how look at the game. Like when I saw all the players getting hurt from Michigan, even in Cincinnati, like these games are tough. Like this is tough. These teams would never, like uh, Michigan or, or Cincinnati would never be able to win like three games in a row. They don't have the depth to be able to sustain injuries and also be able to play at this high level that week after week. Uh, they would never be able to do that. And so I think it's like, I think this is their better shot. Like if you're a Cincinnati or a Michigan, this is a better shot to have a four. Maybe you can, you know, beat out, you know, Alabama, then beat Georgia. But to think you're going to win three games is crazy. And I just think it's fine. Like I, do, I don't know why they had to play on New Year's, but short of that, I think four is four is fine but uh you just see that you know just from the games perspective um georgia just uh you know they, they were the first you know the first possession they had the ball seven they had seven plays 80 yards in four minutes the yardage were 9 16 36 7 and nine yards i mean they were running and passing against uh, Michigan, wishing could stop them. And, uh, and then it was just, it was just, then when Michigan, they, you know, they ended up going like on fourth down and Georgia went down again, six plays, 70 yards, you know, again, nine, seven, 21, 18. And then they ran that halfback option pass, made it 14, nothing. And Michigan's never trailed by 14 points all year. And suddenly you're saying, how is Michigan ever going to come back? You know, maybe if Ohio state, Ohio state was down 14, but no way is Michigan with their offense plodding around going to be able to come back against Georgia down 14. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So let's go to the Outback Bowl, Ira, because you were there. And like you said, you love uh, going over to um, to Tampa Bay, to Raymond James Stadium. Yeah, I mean, I think before I want to get talk about the Outback Bowl, we, we, so we're going to go to the other bowls. But 
I think the big story is the is the opt outs of, of these games, and at the, and are do these other bowls even matter? And that's the point is because you saw in the Penn State game five of the defensive players opted out and they went for the pros, and 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 I think the James Franklin said he never had an opt out to coach at Penn State ever. Um, and now he had six in this game, actually seven. And Arkansas had two players. And you just saw it throughout the entire bowl season, what, what the value of these bowls are. Now, they are getting great ratings in the TV ratings. People are going to these games. There is interest in these games. And certain players are helping. And I think that's now these players are opting out. And then they're getting criticized on social media and saying, well, it's not your fault. You, you, know, you shouldn't really criticize me on social media. I'm looking to make money. I don't want to get injured in a bowl game. And I think this is what is this is a big dilemma. And I think that for most players, they should play. I think that you have the injuries that people happen. Now, Matt Corral for Mississippi got injured, hurt his ankle. And people say, there, there's an example. But he is still going to be one of the you know first or second quarterback taken. He didn't break his ankle. He'll be fine. But I just think it, you know, it's a chance to play. The whole country can see you. And if you're going to be a fourth or fifth round draft pick, why not go in one of these games? Jesse Lucetta played for Penn State. And after the game, then he decided to declare for the draft. He had a great game against Arkansas. was all around the field, number 40. And I think he helped his position. I bet you he moved up himself up two rounds by how he played in that game. So I, I, I think for some of these players, I think they should play. Now, Kenny Pickett, a pit, decided not to play. This season was so important to the Pitt Panthers. I mean, you saw they showed the game in the Peach Bowl where the fans are crying against Michigan State and the, when they lost. But I think if Pickett, for the, for the being there for four years, have actually gone, you know, been the quarterback for that long, like this is still part of the season. I think you still finish it out, and you're, these are your teammates. So I really do think that for most players, now if you have an injury, I can understand why you don't want to risk it. But for most players, I think this is a big game, and I think that they should play these games uh, rather than, than opt out. But it seems like now it's now become more and more prevalent uh, that you're seeing almost every player that is that is any you know good draftable player is not playing in these games. Well, you know, Kirk Herbstreit obviously had comments about this over the weekend. How they're not they don't you know you don't love football. I agree with you in a sense that if you're a third or fourth round pick, play in the game. You can really only help yourself. But if I was a top 10 pick, or if I knew I was the best at my position, I would probably opt out. And, and the example clearly being Jalen Smith, who a couple of years ago, you know, he was going to be a top 10 pick, fell to the second round because he tore his ACL. So that's where it would worry me because I'm losing millions of dollars then, as opposed to moving from the fourth to the fifth or moving from the fourth to the third. Not really that big of a difference. But also, I think a lot happens. Like, then at what point are you out? Like, say you're on a team that has two losses. You can't really play for the championship, uh, for, for the national championship. Do you quit? Like, do you remember yeah, Joey Bosa did, did that? Or Nick Bosa. One of the Bosa. Uh, Nick Bosa did it yeah. where he just quit in the middle of the year <laughs> when Ohio State had a loss or something. But, I mean, I think that's the point. But I, I, I thought for Pickett. I, that was, Pickett was the one that I thought it, after Corral got hurt. Uh, I thought when people were saying, oh, see, we told you, <laughs> thank God Pickett didn't play. And I'm like, no, I think it, because this is your chance to play in front of a lot. Like Kyle Trask played his game last year for Florida. It was terrible. And, but now he's like backup third string for Tampa Bay. Like it's fun to play in front of millions of people and play quarterback for your college that you've been there forever. I, at, at that point, I, I do think it's, I mean, for everybody to have their own decision-making, but I just think it's, as long as they still do these bowls, I think that, especially the New Year's Day bowls and the ones that have a lot more interest, I think, for these players to play. I think it only helps them. Well, yeah, let's talk about the uh, Outback Bowl. You were there. Yeah, fifth time for Penn State, first time for Arkansas. Um, there's it, The game was – I've been there. I've been – this is my third or fourth, I think. I couldn't figure out for, for Penn State. 
but it was not filled. There's 45,000 people out of the 65,000 stadium. Um, but I love, I mean, the game. So the Orange Bowl did not have a big halftime show, didn't have any, the fan, those, the fanfare for COVID, they really stopped it all down. But for the Outback Bowl, they had the, the, everything. It, it was like a normal Outback Bowl. And I love when the games are in Tampa because the Air Force Base is so close. They have the flyovers. They don't just have like, like a helicopter. They really have like jets all flying over. So that was, that was exciting. And the weather. Was I, I don't think I've ever been to a football game where the weather was more perfect. It was like 75, and the sun was with like was clouds a little bit, so it wasn't too sunny, but it was really nice. I think one of the weird things about the game was I sat right on the 50 with a seat, is that I could not buy tickets from Ticketmaster. It's something with the I think they made it easier. It would have been easier to buy these tickets. It was the one game that I've gone to where I'm like, how like I don't even know how that people were buying these tickets for these games, and that's I think one thing that hurt maybe somewhat of the attendance. I mean, you really had Arkansas fans and Penn State fans there. You don't really have like Tampa fans that are showing up for the game, but uh, this is Arkansas. This was a big game for them. They had four seasons with four or fewer wins, uh, and this is the first game since the 2016 Belt Bowl, the first bowl game they played. Uh, and Sam Pittman, who was at Georgia, the offensive line coach at Georgia, came last year to Arkansas and has really turned. I mean, it, the thing that in the SEC West. <laughs> with LSU and Alabama and Auburn and those great teams at Texas A&M that you can actually turn one of these programs around. Great job on Sam Pittman's uh, you know, part in terms of making Arkansas, you know, finishing up and having a, a – they finished the year 9-4, and four, which, is pretty, which is pretty amazing considering they had so many bad years in a row. No, it really, I mean, it's very difficult to turn these, these teams around. We've seen some of them, you know, languish at the bottom of, of their conference – for, for decades. So, you know, kudos to them. You want to talk about the game itself because Penn State um, looked good early and then it just, you know, you could tell they just they weren't going to have enough. Well, it's so funny. People were texting me during the game like, this is a fun game to watch. It was wild. I mean, it was not wild in a good way or a bad way. I mean, Sean Clifford, there was things I saw in this game. First of all, Parker Washington for Penn State had a one-handed catch. And this is one of the, you know, some of these people do these one-handed catches where they put the other arm on. Parker Washington really needed it. Sean Clifford threw, was, his passes were all over the place. So this was a terrible pass. And I could not believe how he caught the ball. And I got it on my picture of the camera. It was, it was good. But then another play, uh, Cam Lambert-Smith was running down the center of the field. And at first I thought the play was blown dead. He was so wide open. And then Clifford threw the ball, and I'm thinking, he might miss him. I mean, when we talk about wide open, wide open it's like there was nobody. He was, he was as wide open as Antonio Brown was against, you know, when he ran in the end zone. That's how wide open, you know, in terms of taking his clothes off. There was nobody around him. He almost thought that he was, like, illegally doing something, that he ran off the bench. And, uh, but that was, but so Penn State was up 10, 7 at halftime, and I could not believe how well Penn State played. I mean, that was just, it was, it was to, on defense. I mean, missing all their starters. But in the second half, K.J. Jefferson is the quarterback for, Arkansas. He was sacked five times in the first half, five times. But in the second half, he was just, he just kept, they just said, we're just going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And they scored 17 unanswered in the third uh, quarter. Uh, Jefferson at 104, was 110 yards. Then Raheem Sanders ran for 80 yards and Dominique Johnson ran for 85 yards. It was just one of those things where they just totally dominated uh, Penn State. And Penn State just didn't score and Arkansas scores at 17 and the game's over. And Clifford, the problem for Penn State is 
Sean Clifford's going to be a fifth-year senior next year, wants to come back, wants to play. He was terrible, 14 for 32, 195 yards, two bad interceptions, like one right in the end zone. And they pulled him at the end of the game. Christian Villanova came in. Penn State has some great, two great high school quarterbacks that are coming for next year. So the question is what happens with Penn State. And I think their record over the last 22 games is like a 12 or 11 and 11. So really, I mean, Penn State is – this has been a, this is a bad loss for Penn State, but you expected because they missed so many players. They really didn't have anybody on defense, but uh, but for Arkansas, good win for them. This is the first time Arkansas Penn State ever played, which I think is that's what's so neat about these bowl games where these teams play against each other. And they don't you don't ever see in the regular season. That that is my favorite part is yeah seeing matchups that you you would never see and a lot a lot of times it is very exciting because they don't know each other. It's not like Ohio State Penn State you know where you guys play all the time or Michigan you know like it's something totally out of the ordinary and you just really know what you're never going to get. Um, you want to move on to the Fiesta Bowl? Yeah, I mean I think the Fiesta Bowl was crazy. I I so I'm at the Penn State game and I just drive home and I'm listening to the end of the Fiesta Bowl because the Penn State game started earlier. And Oklahoma State, what, they were down 30 points, or what they were down, I think it was like 20, 20, 20 to 21 points, uh, and were able to come back and, and win that game 37. They, were, they scored, actually, they scored 30 unanswered points. That was the thing. They scored 30 unanswered points against Notre Dame. Um, Jack Cohn for Notre Dame, 38 for 68, five touchdowns. Um, and they had three, Notre Dame had three wide receivers that all had 100, 100 yards. But Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State, I mean, this is someone who's, the Oklahoma State was like one win away from being in the college football playoff over, maybe over Cincinnati. Um, but they played great. And uh, uh, Mike Gundy, their coach, said it was the biggest win in the history of Oklahoma State. So, as I said, the bowl games don't matter. And then Oklahoma State beats Notre Dame in this type of game. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, so I was listening to the end of it. It was pretty exciting that Oklahoma State was able to, to get that win over Notre Dame because you know, Notre Dame was the, was arguably both that was this was the game where Notre Dame was probably the fifth and Oklahoma State was like the sixth or seventh team like could have been into the into the playoff picture you want to uh, talk about the Rose Bowl because this was one where you know when does Ohio State play Utah not not often and man we got a game out of this one well Ohio State there was a there's motivation aspect about this game I mean they have no Chris Olave no Garrett Wilson none of their top wide receivers the same problem that Penn State had and when Utah jumps up to – now, Utah's problem was they're playing their running backs. Their running back played two ways in this game. So their running back, uh, Michael Gardner, played, uh, played running back and also played uh, cornerback. They had no cornerbacks at all. So you were thinking, if you're, this is Olave and Wilson for Ohio State. Like, this is your chance to put up ridiculous numbers against a team that has no cornerbacks at all. They were playing walk-on cornerbacks, and you're going to be first-round draft picks, so you think put up these numbers. C.J. Stroud for Ohio State threw for 573 yards, six touchdowns, and only one interception. It was a school record, a Rose Bowl record, and three short of any record whatsoever. And Stroud's from Rancho Cabingo, which is right around, right near the Rose Bowl. And then, of course, Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver, that one wide receiver who's coming back next year for Ohio State, he played. He had 15 catches, 347 yards, and three touchdowns. So Chris Carter's school record was 172 yards. He had that at halftime. And uh, he broke Keyshawn Johnson's 96 Rose Bowl record of 216 yards. So think, the Rose Bowl record was 216, and he had 347. And, uh, but it was just simply amazing performance by Smith Bajigla and C.J. Stroud and, and able to come in there. And it was, it was one of those games where in the second half, 
like Ohio, oh, Utah was just trying to hang in there. Like, like you knew that they were, that it was their lead enough. And Cameron Rising, the quarterback, played great. But on the final, so Ohio State took the lead, 45-38. And you think the game's over because Cameron Rising, the quarterback for Utah, got hurt. And their, his backup was named Bryson Barnes. Bryson Barnes has never threw a ball in the in NCAA. He's a freshman, and he, he's been a pig, and I love this. He was a pig farmer responsible for 12,000 pigs. So you think that's maybe great preparation to play football. But uh, he came down and led them to a great drive, 45-45. But then Ohio State came down, ran the clock out, and then kicked a field goal and win and won. But, uh, oh, Utah had a great year. First Rose Bowl they've ever played in. Uh, they won the Pac-12. Uh, just a big, great year for uh, great year for for Utah and uh, and I think for for Ohio State they got to get defense. I mean they cannot. This is what this has been their problem all year. Their defense is a mess. And if they, I cannot believe their defense is this poor. And to let Utah score forty five points on them is ridiculous. Maybe we should move on to the Sugar Bowl here. This was one where both of these teams had very good years. Baylor and Ole Miss um, overperformed what I thought they would do, and I thought this game would be a little bit better, 21-7 to the final for the Baylor Bears. Yeah, I mean, it was like one of those games where Baylor, again, the Big 12 did well. Oklahoma State had a win. Baylor had a win where they met for the Big 12 title. Um, I think when Fitter Matt Corral went down on the third series, Mississippi was averaging 500 yards under Lane Kiffin, and then they only, you know, the backup quarterback came in and only got 300 for the entire game. And Baylor's just, this is, uh, this is, this is another turnaround type program where they're, you know, they have just played great. Their defense, what's so funny is that you have a game like this where Baylor just shuts down Mississippi, you have the Zyfling offense, and then you have like the Oklahoma State Notre Dame where they're scoring. So I think it's so much interesting in college football now where you have some teams that have these great defenses and others that have these amazing offenses. And when they play, you see what happens. So, but no, it was, it was a, a big win for Mississippi. I mean, for, for Baylor, just to show again, you know, they lost Matt Rule. People thought after the whole program was going to fall apart. And now, you know, to come and do what they're doing right now is just is simply amazing. Uh, but, and then Corral, it looks like, you know, I just like the fact even after the game, he said, he goes, oh, I'll be, uh, you know, I don't regret playing in the game. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm with my team. And Kiffin said all the right things, too. I mean, he was so enthusiastic about crowds that, you know, I'm sorry, maybe I put him in the wrong uh, position and, uh, and those type of things. But uh, it was like, it was, but, you know, Dave Aranda, uh, Aranda is the coach of Baylor. And he has been on the short list for a lot of other names. But, you know, he has just played. He just a great coaching job at Baylor, especially on defense, making them so super. He was a defensive coordinator at LSU when they won a national championship in 2020. And uh, so he's, he's done a tremendous job at Baylor. Let's talk about the uh, Peach Bowl. As you mentioned earlier, you know, Pitt Panthers star Kenny Pickett was not going to play in this one. And Michigan State took advantage, 131-21. Yeah, I mean, just to, to run through some of these other Michigan State beating Pitt without Pickett, uh, they were down 21-10 in the fourth, scored three touchdowns. It'd be interesting what happens with Pitt, who won the ACC title this past year, uh, and and Michigan State now, which is now you know had the type of year they came back. You know, they were. They, were, they beat Michigan. You know, they had their chance to, you know, they would have been, they, they got destroyed by Ohio State, but they had a chance to win the Big Ten title. And then the other game I want to talk about was Oklahoma beat Oregon, uh, 47-32. Uh, Caleb Williams, this was an interesting game because Bob Stoops, who from 99 to 2016 won 10 Big Ten titles with the you know, national championship, 
because Lincoln Riley left for USC. Stoops comes back and coaches the game, which is funny. His kid, his son plays on the team, so that was great, and a big win for Oklahoma over Oregon and, said, and going forward, setting up for next year. And then Clemson, won the last game would be Clemson beat Ohio State. And as much as people are saying, well, Clemson's had this terrible year, you know, they still finished 10-3. and three. Uh, They won six straight, and uh, even though – between you know the two national championships, there were six straight playoff games. They have a great recruiting class coming in. I would not. I'm not. People are saying, well, Dabo or Dabo lost his assistance. I'm not ready to close the book on Clemson's long run. I think that they might. I think this might be just a small little speed bump, but not just a, a downturn. And Ira, before we move on to the uh, NFL, so the stage is set for the college national uh, college football national championship. I got to assume you're going to be there. Yeah, Monday night. I've been to the last two, so I'm excited for this. Uh, this is, and it's in Indianapolis. It'll be interesting to see how many Georgia and Alabama fans there. And I actually think the ticket's going to be cheaper than the SEC championship game that I went to a few weeks ago in Atlanta because, of course, it's further away. But I cannot wait. It when you think about this game, now we'll be able to talk about it next week because the game's at eight o'clock Monday night. So it's a week from today. But uh, I really, I just don't, I, I'm concerned. I'm going to root for Alabama in this game. But I think Georgia showed that they, that they are focused and ready and they'll learn from their mistakes. I think Alabama has to – I think Georgia's A game is a little bit better than Alabama's A game. And if Georgia brings it, they're going to win this game. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites, and that seems like what it should be. Georgia's played this year. They've had a better season than Alabama. I mean, they, didn't have, they had their only loss was to Bama. Uh, but I think Georgia dominated most of their games. I think they looked great against Michigan. Uh, so I just really think this is a question. This is where Nick Saban has to rise again. I mean, they continually beat Georgia again and again and again. But it's hard to beat a really good – team two years in a row remember the one year that Alabama played LSU and they LSU beat Alabama in the middle of the year and then Alabama came back and won the national championship game so it's really hard to win two games but I am I can't you know people say they want to see something new in this if Cincinnati was in this game against uh, uh, against Georgia the line would be 20 I mean it would be and people wouldn't be that excited I think they want to see the two clearly best football teams in the country play each other on Monday night and I think that's what we're going to get. You've been to Lucas Oil before, I, I would assume. That seems like a great place to see a game. Yeah, it's really good. I, I do like it. I think it's cool because it's like one of those stadiums where the seats seem like right on top of the field. Again, uh, what I don't like about the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami is the, the seats get pushed back and pushed back. Yeah, I like when I like when the seats are feel like they're like you're right on top of the field. It's a pretty stadium, and Indianapolis does a great job. There's tons of restaurants downtown. The, the stadium uh, the, is right in the heart of downtown, so you leave the stadium and you walk around to bars and restaurants and everything. So I'm really pumped. I think it's going to be good. Now the question. For me, is if the Steelers win tonight, I'll probably go to Baltimore on Sunday and then drive to Indianapolis on Monday. So that'll be that. <laughs> I can do it. It's, the Steelers game will be over by four. It's about seven hours to Indianapolis from Baltimore. Yeah, no, you you got this. This is nothing. <laughs> Child's play for Ira. It's Ira on Sports True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Follow uh, along on Ira's escapades all across social media at Ira on Sports. Let's switch over to the NFL. Um, I don't think anybody, Ira, would have predicted that Tampa Bay and the Jets would be the premier one o'clock game, but it ended up being a great game. It had uh, theatrics as well, and let's talk about it. Well, you want to talk about the theatrics, the game? <laughs> I don't know where to start on this one. Oh, I don't know. Wherever you, wherever you're comfortable. Well, I, you know, I was doing my notes, and and I and I and because Mike Evans, the wide remember Chris Godwin for the for Tampa Bay is hurt. And Mike Evans was playing injured, and you expected Antonio Brown to play a big role in the game. Before we mention Antonio Brown, maybe I should talk about Cecil Grayson. Cecil Grayson played 
lights out in this game. I mean, he was the he caught the, the game winning touchdown pass. I mean, he was tremendous. Uh, six catches for 81 yards. Gronkowski had one of the best games he's had in years. Seven catches, 115. But Cecil Grayson never played college football. He was a track star at LSU. Never played it. To show you how great the LSU team is, you have Jamar Chase for Cincinnati going crazy. You have Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Jefferson for uh, um, uh, for Minnesota being, you know, breaking all the records. And then you have uh, LSU. They were both at LSU. And then you have Cecil Grayson, who didn't even play on the LSU team. And, he's, and first of all, you have Odo Beckham Jr. But you have Cecil Grayson, who didn't even play on the LSU team, is leading uh, is out of nowhere. He's played for Seattle, the Colts, the Seahawks, the Texans, the Bears, the Saints, the Cowboys, the Buccaneers, and never really was just on practice squads. And he made these big plays in this game. Uh, but, boy, I was just shocked. I mean, it was like one of those games where the Jets came out. Carter had that long run. And uh, Zach Wilson started have a, had a good game. And, and I think the Jets were motivated. They played great. But uh, leading 17-10 at the halftime, and no one ever thought that that was like the least of what was going to happen the rest of the game. Uh, Carter was out with the concussion in the second half. So the Jets, you know, they go up 24-10. So now the Jets are leading 24-10. And, uh Brady's doing this drive, so a comeback. He's down two touchdowns, and A.B. and Antonio Brown had three passes caught during the game. And so at first I thought maybe his love was over not being involved in the action. But so you're watching it, and then they show Brown, like, leaving the field, and he's taking – he. He took his, his uh, pads off, his jersey off, and then he took his shirt off. And so he just has his pants, and, he's, and he ran while the play is going on ran across the field to the point where people at there in the stands said they thought it was a streaker that just jumped out of the stands and was running across the field in the middle of the game. And it was just one of the wildest things you've ever seen. And, and I've seen players quit. Okay. I've seen players like quit in a game. They're in the bit, but the thing is you don't run across the field. You just like go into the locker room and leave. But because of the MetLife stadium, you have to cross the field to go to their locker room. He, he didn't have to cross the field. He could have walked around. He could have done, you know, everything. <laughs> Have to like get, you know, and then it reminded me of this movie called Slapshot, which almost famous hockey, where one of the players at the end, like the striptease uh, at the end of the game, uh, wow, during the hockey. It's just, I mean, you, it was just insane in terms of what he did. An embarrassment to Tom Brady, an embarrassment to the Buccaneers, embarrassment to Bruce Arians, embarrassment to himself. Uh, that he would, you know, after the whole vaccination issue, when he came back and uh, and they said we're going to get, he's going to be cut, and they said they're still going to be there. He's been a model citizen, and then to pull a stunt like this, supposedly the story is that that his ankle was bothering when Aaron said get in the game. He said no, my ankle hurts, and then he said, well, get, are you getting treatment? He goes, no. He goes, well, either get treatment on your ankle or get in the game. Just don't stand here or leave. And then so then he decided to leave, um, but. You know, Bruce Arians is the player coach. I mean, there was no way he did not want to bring. He was the coach at Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh. He did not want to bring Antonio Brown to Tampa. Tom Brady vouched for him. Tom Brady brought him to New England uh, for the one game, and then they was cut there. And now you have this situation with this, and and I just cannot imagine him ever playing again in the his in the, for the rest. He'll never have another job. There's only two teams I could see that would ever sign him would be you would need a general manager that does not care about the job like meaning that they are not worried about being fired and almost that you know every single general manager cares about the job um because he look he belichick got criticized for signing him and and, and then you have gruden when gruden at, at, at oakland or the la raiders las vegas actually with oakland and gruden got criticized and gruden was had total 10-year contract and now you have arians and brady at this situation who's gonna who's gonna sign him 
only the Cowboys, only Jerry Jones, who's not going to fire himself, would be the only one who would actually sign him. No other gentleman tour. Maybe Kansas City would be possibly a team that would do that. But uh, I would uh, I would think that it's just it was just a situation that was terrible. And, and I and I bring this up and mention that in 2017 when he, they were playing the Bears, uh, he on the sideline during the Bears game was mad at. Ben was mad at the offense coordinator and took a Gatorade water bottle, not just this big one, but a whole jug, you know, a whole big water thing, and knocked the entire bottle over, knocked all the cups that were out there, and made a whole scene about something in, this, in there. And then in the playoff game, before the playoff game, he was said he was hurt. And Tomlin said, come in for an MRI. And then he said, I can't come for an MRI because I can't get a, an appointment. And I'm like, it's for the Steelers. Like, you just called. We, it's not like you're going to a doctor. And so he didn't go. And then he disappeared for two days. And finally, Drew Rosenhaus called Tomlin on Sunday morning and said, Antonio wants to play in the game. And Tomlin goes, how can I play him in the game? He hasn't been around for three days. And said, he, I don't want to address. So he showed up at the game, then left it in, in like a, a mink coat, and then left at halftime. So people said, well, you know, Antonio's probably been off the field. He has had on the field problems before and now this is the end of his career i just again i don't even think the cowboys would sign him and i think this is one of the craziest things you can imagine that someone would walk off and strip up in the middle while he walked across the field like if he was in uniform they would have been flagged for too many men on the field because the play was going on at that time it it, it almost looks fake like when you see the pictures it's like this has to be photoshop it doesn't look real i'm with you i don't think he ever plays again i don't think any team wants to deal with the headache. I did see a lot of people saying today, though, Mike Tomlin deserves some kind of coaching award for having put up with him for nine years. And now he's been on basically nine teams in two years because he keeps, you know, putting his foot in his own mouth. So I don't know how you guys dealt with that and Le'Veon forever, but kudos to Mike Tomlin, I guess. And then, and you know, what's so funny is that it's ironic that, you know, this is now Ben's last game tonight, but Le'Veon Bell was now playing for campus. So he was on the field for that. And I feel bad for Ben because Ben has had two Bratzburgers and two Super Bowl championships, but he probably could have had another two with, with Brown and, you know, the best wide receiver in the game and the best running back in the game. And Ben was playing it was, it was seven years ago. It was much younger and stronger and everything. And I just feel like we left a, we left a, maybe another one or two Super Bowls, uh, you know, on the table that we probably could have had. But again, this is where the great thing about Brady is they're down in the game and the, then amidst all this craziness he's able to stay focused i mean that just shows you what kind of player brady is he knew what was going on and he leads the team back i know it was the jets and the jets made it they went on a fourth down and ran a stupid fourth down play but still he had no wide receivers at all we out there ty johnson dropped a touchdown pass and that's where great brady is given uh, just amazing play to come back and win the game on the final pass you know on, on that pass at the end of the game just just tremendous absolutely crazy way that the jets kind of blew it and, and that tom brady stole that game at the end but like you said that's what tom brady does that's why he's he's a goat absolutely amazing i feel bad for people with antonio brown on their fantasy team in the uh super bowl there but you know you're expecting a little more out of him and of course that's what you get when you have that guy on your team um let's move on to miami and tennessee here ira this was a bad look for the dolphins i've been really you know campaigning for them they've been on an, an amazing run i know they haven't beat the the best teams I thought they were going to really give Tennessee a run for their money, if not win the game, and boy, I was wrong. Well, no, I mean, Tennessee, exactly. I mean, Tennessee had lost to the Steelers. The Steelers, who got blown up by the Chiefs last week, Tennessee somehow lost, and you thought that they are vulnerable. But I think there was motivation. I think Ryan Tannehill, I think there was this, some of this, like, I feel like, you know, I'm going to win this game against the Dolphins. The Dolphins let this – was, this was a motivation game from him. I think the team rallied around him. I mean, he had us to 13 for 18, two touchdowns. 
but just played smart, ran smart. Their defense was 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 uh, was great in terms of whatever. But it was just you know it was it was a ten three game that sort of just got away and it just kept running and running and into from them. I mean the Dolphins sort of like they were hanging around, but then Tua had a bad fumble in the second half and uh, and then uh, they, they, they it just it was like one of those things where the, the fumbles and the interceptions, the turnovers by Miami, things that they didn't do all year, and suddenly I mean the score at thirty four to three wasn't. You know, indicative of what the score. I thought it was a closer game, but Miami just could not stop Tennessee at all, and, and they got eliminated. I mean, it just caught. You know, it's one of those things where they had won. You got a. You know, they won seven in a row, and then they lose this game, and they look like the Miami of the first seven of the games, not not the not the final seven. But uh, uh, it was it was just. I mean, there was some weird things this game. Finally, a long pass to Jalen Waddle. Like, where was that all year? He finally did something. You know, with that. But in end, it was just Tua. Did, Tua had a bad game. This is his first bad game in a while and he did not look good and uh, now it'll you know you know become you know start questioning him whether what the, what they should do at the quarterback position no yeah it, it's a bad indictment on two in a game that was like you know must win to keep them alive he didn't look good at all um you know so that's going to be issues they have to deal with rolling over into next year i re- i had texted you about this i don't think that the, the cincinnati Bengals are getting enough credit that organization as a whole for going from literally the worst team in the league with the number one overall pick two years ago to now winning the AFC North, which is, this is not the AFC South. I mean, this is the, the one of, if not the best division in football, year in and year out. Remarkable turnaround and a great win for them over the Chiefs. Just a weird game and the fact that the Chiefs went out and were leading. The first is important. The Chiefs had to win this game to get the overall one, number one seed because they lost to Tennessee one. They don't have it. Tennessee does it going the final week. Chiefs led 14 nothing, 21-7 and 28-14. They have no turnovers in the game. How in the world did this, you know, that this fall, you know, it just fell apart, you know, for this? I mean, Burrow, 30 for, 30 for 39, 446 yards, four touchdowns, and Jamar Chase. I mean, you, what more can be said? I mean, he had 12 targets, caught 11 passes for 266 yards, three touchdowns, rookie records, franchise records, broke every record in the, in the book, and and and, the, and just all the types of passes, like great catches, great runs. They, they threw a little screen pass, and he outran the entire Chiefs team. Uh, it was like one of those things where they just couldn't, you know, again, um, they were the Chiefs were rolling along. They were up you know, 28-17 at halftime. And then in the entire second half, the Chiefs had two punts and a field goal. They only had the ball three times, and every time the the Bengals were able to come down there and just make – Play after play after play, uh, you know, to go to go do it. With five minutes to go, you know, it was third. I think the key play of the game was uh, the Chiefs had hit a field goal to make it thirty-one, thirty-one, and then on third there was a third and twenty-seven pass. It was third and twenty-seven, and they threw it to Chase for thirty yards. Now, how in the world do you throw for thirty yards? And then they got it down to the first and goal. Uh, with two minutes to go, so it, it was just crazy. And then they, the Burrow sneaks once, sneaks again, doesn't get it. They go on third and third and goal. Nixon doesn't score. And then a fourth and goal, you think they'll just kick a field goal, but they were going to leave Mahomes one minute left, so they didn't want to do a field goal. So they tried for they tried for a, on fourth down. Otherwise, you know, it would have sent to overtime if they didn't get it or actually give Mahomes a chance to go back. And they got stopped, but there was a penalty. There was a two penalties. They did another play. There was a penalty, and then finally. They held the ball and they were able to kick the ball with uh, with no time left and make it thirty four thirty one. But uh, what a what a what a win for Bengals! I mean, what a, they now won the AFC North. 
Um, they positioned themselves well in the playoffs, and, and they clearly are a team. I mean, any, the AFC is wide open. Any team who makes the playoffs can go to the Super Bowl. So that was a big – and Chase and Burrow, and Burrow looks like the quarterback is – you know, if you're looking for a great young quarterback, I mean, that's, he's phenomenal. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Follow Ira at Ira on Sports across social media. So, Ira, let's talk about the Rams and the Ravens. The Rams win this game, but this is almost like a loss to me. I mean, this doesn't show me anything about the Rams. The, the, the Ravens are a, like a JV team at this point. Um, just been, you know, decimated with COVID. Lamar Jackson's not playing. Stafford threw two more picks. He threw three a week ago to Minnesota. If I'm a Rams fan, I'm worried about this team going into the playoffs, even though they're 12 and four and coming off a win. Well, they were they were going to lose this game. I mean, it was they, now look at the Ravens. They were eight and three, the top seed in the AFC. Now they've lost five in a row. The season has totally fallen apart for them. But I mean, they were they were up sixteen seven, and they were up nineteen four nineteen seven, and then it was just it was just one of those things where it was I mean, you know, it, look, Stafford threw to Beckham on fourth and five. They don't make that conversion, and that's where Odell Beckham. We're talking about Antonio Brown self-destructing. Odell Beckham had probably his best game in years in terms of how he played and what he was able to bring to the Rams. But uh, but again, Stafford five picks and fifty-one throws. He threw. I mean, this is just he's had he had a pick six to start the game. So he's had now six. It's his six pick six of the year. And it's someone said that Jared Goff hadn't hadn't had like six pick sixes in like three or four years and Stafford has six in one season uh, just an inconsistent play I mean, this is a questioning in terms of well, you're right I mean the Rams did not look good at all I mean none of the teams look great I mean the, the, the only team that looked good for the NFC was the Green Bay Packers the, the Buccaneers one looked bad uh, the Rams looked one looked bad and the Cowboys they lost it looked terrible so it's like one of those things where that you're right they didn't you felt like worse by if you're a Rams fan. You're like this team's terrible, but they again they still position themselves to, to have a the, at least a, a home game for the first round of the playoffs. Ira, I don't know if there's a tougher team to handicap or predict what's going to happen than the Las Vegas Raiders. You think you just don't know what you're going to get out of this team week to week. And Derek Carr sometimes looks fantastic, sometimes looks pedestrian but they got a nice win over i think the colts are a good team they won 23 to 20 you got to win these games good good for them and they're you know holding themselves up in the playoffs you know, they're both nine and seven and that was the key is that the colts could have won this game and clinched a playoff spot and they lose and it was just a weird game i mean the raiders played great i mean car again the raiders are they, they, they just have these terrible games and then they have some games that were just tremendous i mean third and ten carter renfro the call was reversed, but then they went and threw it again. And then it just—it was just the, the plays. It was a crazy game. You know, I'm watching these all these games on Sunday. We're we're coming down to the end, and uh, and just just a win where they were again kicked the field goal to win the game at the end. Uh, Wentz was 16 for 27, 148 yards, one touchdown. I mean, Jonathan Taylor, people thought should win the. MVP trophy, pedestrian. I mean, through it, he ran for 108 yards, but it wasn't one of those dominating runs. Vegas, Vegas's defense seems to play like they're either going to get blown out or they play well, which they did in this game. And so now it's a situation. Now the Colts, for a Steeler fan, everything comes down to the Colts because the Colts have to lose and the Steelers win tonight and on against the Ravens for the Steelers to get in. The Colts have to lose to Jacksonville, which they'll probably – I don't know what the line is. I think it's like 16 or 17 points. <laughs> so and that's the only way the Steelers get in the playoffs. But the Colts, 
you know, if the Colts lose that game, that would be a disaster. I mean, that would be one of the biggest upsets to actually play Jacksonville, a team that doesn't want to be in there at all, and all you have to do is beat them and you're in the playoffs, and lose that game would be horrendous for the Colts. Let's uh, let's move over to an NFC East matchup. And Ira, when I look at the Philadelphia Eagles, yeah, they beat Washington yesterday, 20-16, to 16, classic ugly NFC East um, battle. But Philadelphia holds a playoff spot, you know, and I just don't know what to make of this team. I don't think they're very good. But I think they could maybe beat a good team, and they're another squad that just confuses me. Well, I think the reason you say that is because if you look at a team like Philadelphia, and maybe if New Orleans or San Francisco gets to the wild cards and how the wild cards go go down, the question is if they're going to have to be playing a team like Tampa Bay. They're going to be playing a team like the Rams. And when you watch a game like this, it's just messy. It's awful. The weather's bad. Like everything was bad about this game. And uh, and they ended up. I mean, they were, you know, Washington was up sixteen to seven at halftime, and then Philly was able to score a touchdown and two field goals to win the game and intercept Taylor Heineke in the end zone. But it was just like Jalen Hurts was pumped and excited. He had a great game, two or fourteen yards. But it was just you're right. I, I I just you watch Philadelphia and how they win, and you're like they're terrible. But they're nine and seven. They won now seven of the last nine games after starting the year two and five. So unlike the Dolphins, they actually they didn't have a bad first starter. They've actually won you know more games here at the end, and they're playing an easier uh, division. But uh, I, I agree with you. Philadelphia has now made the playoffs at nine and seven. They're in the playoffs. Let's talk about um, Arizona and Dallas. This was the um, probably the game of the week, the game that everyone wanted to see. Arizona had been reeling after you know opening up uh, as the best team in the football as the best team in football through the first ten weeks. Dallas is good. I mean, this is just two good teams here getting on the field. Uh, Arizona had the edge, though, 125-22. And uh, it was one of those games where Arizona was up 22-7 in the fourth quarter. They had dominated the entire game. I don't understand. Dak Prescott had a just terrible game. Uh, he didn't play well. He fumbled the ball. Isaiah Simmons, who we love from, the, from Clemson, had a forced fumble on him. Uh, but it was like one of those situations where, where Arizona – Dominated and I, and they and they let them. It was weird. Dallas came back and scored and, and had a chance there at the end, but uh, uh, but then was Arizona got the ball with four minutes to go in the game and just sort of ran the clock out. At one point they fumbled the ball, but because Dallas had burned all their timeouts, they couldn't challenge the fumble of Edmonds fumble. But look, they're not getting Dallas got no production from Cooper. Uh, Elliott was nine carries for sixteen yards. Pollard no carries. I mean, as a team. Between Dak, Elliott, and Pollard, they rushed 17 times for 45 yards. And they just cannot get – I mean, Kellen Moore is this – I mean, you look at Dallas, and you're like, they're so great. They have all these great stars. And then they have a game like this, and they just play terrible. So it was just not a uh, – it's just a crazy, uh, crazy situation. And, and they're both now 11-5. and five, And Dallas is a team that I thought, you know, when they look good, they look good. But when they look bad, they look terrible. And there's just all these questions about this team. And I just, I really was like, you're waiting in the, with a week before the playoffs, you're waiting for these teams to answer questions. The only one to really answer the questions would be, I would say, Green Bay and the NFC. They answered their questions very well. And uh, maybe a Buffalo team answered the questions. New England answered the questions. And certainly Tennessee answered their answered the questions. No, I, I agree with you on that. You know, it, you, you we try to, you know, as analysts and, you know, you know, members of the media, we try to learn something every game. And there was a lot of games this week. You couldn't, you didn't really take anything away from it. One game that you really, there's nothing to take away from is Carolina and new Orleans, new Orleans wins this game. But the, the story out of this game really is Matt rule. And I, they say they're bringing him back. David Tepper came out and said he regrets giving Matt rule such a big contract, which is never a good thing. I don't know what to make of either of these teams at this point. 
New Orleans just scored enough points to win. I think Carolina, Sam Darnold had was sacked seven times. Cam Jordan for New Orleans had three of those sacks. Taysom Hill played okay, but it was like the Saints had three. It was 10-9 at half, and then the Saints scored three field goals the second half. Again, New Orleans plays a lot like Philadelphia. They're going to keep the score down. The defense is going to play great. But Carolina's a mess. Uh, and, I, you know, someone, you know, his total power of the organization, he's the general manager and the coach, but you're right. It was just a bad, it's now a couple of bad years now for rule. And you're wondering like, just with Joe judge, I mean, you know, the situation is, is that are these owners going to make quicker, you know, pools than they had in years past. It seems like every time they're, they're firing quicker and quicker and quicker, but Carolina looked terrible. And, and, and this is another example though. People say, well, Steelers get rid of Ben. They'll find another quarterback. There are some teams that don't have quarterbacks. Denver with Bridgewater and Locke don't have a quarterback. Carolina with Darnell. I mean, just because you start someone a quarterback doesn't mean they're the quarterback. So it's hard to find. There's not enough good quarterbacks in the league uh, that, that can play. And so there's some of these teams. So for like the Steelers to like say, get rid of Ben, we'll find somebody. There might not be a person to find. And some of these rookies are not ready to play. We saw this year. So Carolina's a perfect example. They cannot get a right good quarterback. They brought in Sam Darnell from the Jets, and he did not have a good year this year. He got hurt. And then they bring Cam Newton in. Is terrible and just hasn't worked for them at all. So, Ira, let's talk about New England and Jacksonville here for a second. We've got about four four minutes left here on Iron Sports. So, I, I you know, halfway through the season, I think it looked like Jamar Chase was going to win Rookie of the Year. Um, now, in the past month or so, Mac Jones has been a little up and down, but he was probably the candidate. Jamar Chase has a phenomenal game yesterday, and then Mac Jones did the same thing. Had a very, very good game to kind of hold himself in there because, and you know, keep Chase from pulling away. New England smoked Jacksonville fifty to ten. Well, I think I think Chase did his damage against the Chiefs defense, which is probably which is playing better. But I think Jacksonville now is a shell of an NFL team. The score was twenty eight three at the end of the first half. Uh, Jones at one point was 15 for 17 for three touchdowns. I, I just think Jacksonville is terrible. They've given up. Uh, and Trevor Lawrence, it was a disaster, three interceptions. But it is interesting that Mac Jones was picked after Trevor Lawrence and was packed, picked after Zach Wilson. That was beat both of them. And uh, again, it was like one of those games New England you know, was able to win, get you know, make sure they didn't get any injuries. And Jacksonville now is there set up for the Colts to lose again. But it was just, again, this Jacksonville team is a mess. And they're playing without a coach after firing Urban Meyer. But uh, um, so I really I don't know how to read into this game at all. I think anybody would have had a really good game against Jacksonville. Yeah, let's talk about Buffalo. And this is a team that's been up and down as well. They've shown that they can't run the ball. They show that they're very Josh Allen dependent. They win a game yesterday. They won by two touchdowns, but the game was closer than that. And they actually got the running game going with Devin Singletary, which hasn't happened all year. So, again, I, I'm very confused on what I'm going to get from Buffalo in the playoffs. Yeah, and I'm nervous. You know, the, again, Josh Allen threw three interceptions. It was a win. Atlanta Atlanta was never eliminated for the playoffs, but Atlanta hasn't played well at all this year. And it's like one of those – maybe you're thinking you're – they're happy, but Allen is a win they had to have. They lost have been devastating, but the point is, it was close. I mean, this is a score of 29-15. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was in the balance, 15-14 at halftime, and it was only you know it's just some mistakes by the the Falcons. But uh, look, Buffalo is uh, is they still have they got to win next week because they still have the division lead over the Patriots after the win they had last week against them. But they could you know if they would have lost this week after beating the Patriots then it would ruin it would give it everything that they earned by beating the Patriots it would give it back so they, it was a must win for them in terms of winning the division we got about a minute left and we still I still want to talk about you know how the playoffs shake up any other games you want to touch on and that Giants game that we won't even call that a football game I don't know what that was that I saw 
No, we'll just go. We'll jump to the playoffs. I mean, I think the they, the big game was the, the Chargers beating the Broncos was key. I mean, they had to win that game to go nine and seven, and that was that. What ha, what that set up was was for this week is that it set up uh, the two nine and sevens. The Raiders and the Chargers are both nine and seven. The winner will get ten wins and get in the playoffs. So that you always like one of those games at the end of the year that's going to be fun in terms of what you know what would happen with that. But Tennessee is in, Kansas City's in, Cincinnati's in, the Buffalo's in. Doesn't mean they won the divisions. Um, because the Bills, if they lose and the Pats win, Pats are five. The Colts at nine and seven. Colts beat Jacksonville. They're in, and the winner of the Chargers, the Raiders, in. The only ones would have left have a chance at the AFC are the Steelers and the Ravens. The Ravens need a zillion things to happen. They're eight and eight, and they have to beat the Steelers. The Steelers have to win their two games. As I said before, they have to hope that somehow Jacksonville beats the Colts, which is probably never going to happen. But that's where the, the AFC is set. And the NFC is a little bit different. Um, there's eight teams that are going for um, the seven spot. San Francisco plays the, the Rams next week at the Rams. The Saints are at Atlanta. Though they're battling for the final spot, the Vikings and the Falcons have been eliminated. Green Bay's in. And Green Bay, the big thing, so let's just say, so last night they destroyed Minnesota. Green Bay right now has the number one seed. They are uh, they are assured now a bye. That means that Rodgers can rest next week. He has two weeks off to heal his foot and doesn't have to play. They then have two games in Green Bay. Then they're in the Super Bowl. This is the chance. He's never going to have a better chance. And with uh, with all the other teams, the Rams, the Bucks, the Cowboys, Arizona looking iffy if there's ever a time for green bay to win the super bowl for aaron Rodgers to win, it's this year so if he doesn't do it this year then i don't he'll never happen because he has the team that he likes he has he says Devontae adams is his favorite wide receiver he's ever thrown the ball to he seems happy and he's going to get two weeks off the rest of the playoffs he has to win two games remember these other teams are all playing three games so they're all playing the week next week it's almost like a free win for them so that's where we are for the uh for the playoffs for next for actually setting up for next week no i'm with you i mean this game I mean, this team has set themselves up. To, they have to make the Super Bowl. You have to make the Super Bowl now with these games going through Green Bay and with just how good they've looked. They're the only team that doesn't seem to have any flaws. I'm more amazed by the Tennessee Titans, though, in the driver's seat for the for the number one seed. they got to be Houston next week, and, and they're the number one seed. After how lost and listless this team looked without Derrick Henry, they're in the driver's seat to have a bye and have games go through Nissan Field, which is amazing to me. Uh, and it's amazing because the Steelers beat him. And the Steelers have looked terrible in some games. I, I mean, again, I think they don't have Derrick Henry. If he comes back, I think the key for them is, like, again, if they get this, they win next week, they get the bye, um, they're, uh, they, they get the bye, they're playing at Houston. So Tennessee plays at Houston. Kansas City plays at Denver. If Tennessee wins at Houston, which they should, they're going to have two weeks off. It looks like Henry will come back. They just have to win two games. I mean, huge, huge advantage for the Titans if Henry can come back. I mean, you saw the running game was still strong with Henry out. When he comes back and he's healthy, I mean, this might be the way where they and, – and, and the teams like Kansas City, you know, Cincinnati doesn't have defense. Like, Kansas City, their defense looks terrible. I mean, this – but Tennessee – I mean, all these teams in the AFC are beatable. Um, this is why I want to jump back to Green Bay. The AFC doesn't look strong. It doesn't look like these teams are – it's not like Green Bay is going to get to the Super Bowl and face someone who's like, oh, this is going to be – it's not Georgia, Alabama. This is like, <laughs> this is like uh, Cincinnati and, yeah. uh, and Michigan on the other side. I mean, this is the year. Not that just Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers gets the Super Bowl. They have to win the Super Bowl. Anything else would be just a humongous upset. So, Ira, you're in Pittsburgh for tonight's uh, Monday Night Football matchup versus the Browns. Two and a half points uh, Pittsburgh is given. What do you think happens in this game? I'm taking the Steelers, given the points, and I think that they, they're going to look good tonight. 
the Browns have been eliminated from the playoffs. They were the favorite, but, but then because they were eliminated yesterday, that's why the Steelers were. That There's a lot of emotion in this game. I would find it surprising. But, again, the Browns will play hard. Uh, Baker Mayfield, this could be his last game for the Browns. Who knows about that situation, too? So, I mean, there's a situation where Baker Mayfield could be the starting quarterback for the Steelers next year. That could be if, if the Browns let him go, as crazy as that may seem. But um, I just think I think it could be a, a great game. But I think the emotion of the Steelers, I think this is ben, as said, Ben's last game. I think that there's the football is a game of emotion. And I think the Steelers, they love Ben. And uh, I think the fans are going to be in this game. It's going to be super loud. So I'm really excited for an exciting game. And if the Steelers win, I'll definitely go to the Ravens game next Sunday and then the national championship game on Monday. So. We, we are out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.